Every day we make decisions that impact our health. How do you know if you are making the right decision? Are you shortchanging your health? Today we'll go over three areas you need to focus on for optimal health. We'll talk about the best foods to eat, but also how diet alone can provide all the nutrients you need and where you can get them. We'll discuss the balance of mind, body, and spirit. What kind of self-care do you need every day to be balanced? Finally, we'll get into what you need to know when you go to your doctor. What health tests and screenings are most important? How do you ask for the right thing? All this and more on today's Be Healthistic. Welcome to Be Healthistic, the podcast that's more than just health and wellness information. It's here to help you explore your options across traditional and natural medicine so that you can make informed decisions for you and your family. This podcast illuminates the whole story about holistic health by providing access to the expertise of Dr. Steve and Drew Sinatra, who together have decades of integrative health experience. Be Healthistic is powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. Now, let's join our hosts. Hi, folks. If you like what you hear today and you want to listen to future conversations on all things integrative and holistic health, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com. Also, check out and subscribe to the Healthy Directions YouTube channel, which features video versions of our episodes plus extra videos you won't want to miss. And finally, we have more with me, Dr. Drew Sinatra, my dad, Dr. Steve Sinatra, and other health experts at HealthyDirections.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Be Healthistic. Today in the show, my dad and I are going to discuss a topic that's especially important to address right now. Are you shortchanging your health? Are you missing out on opportunities to be as healthy as you can because you're not making the right lifestyle choices that can optimize your health? Let's dig in and talk about it. My dad and co-host, Dr. Stephen Sinatra, joins me today. Welcome to the show, Dad. Hey, it's good to be here, Drew. Well, today is going to be all about uh, lifestyle medicine, things that people can do uh, that are free at your home. <laughs> you know, you don't have to spend lots of money to do these things that can make uh, a huge difference uh, in their health. And I can tell you, as an integrative doc, someone that practices functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, I, I could not practice medicine without what we'll be discussing today, which is lifestyle medicine. It's a that's an integral part of what I do. And I feel like if there's any doctors or practitioners listening that are, are into functional medicine or naturopathic medicine or integrative medicine, they would agree that this is it. This is the main chunk of the medicine that we can help so many people with. You're absolutely right, Drew. When it comes to cardiovascular disease, it's all about lifestyle. In other words, what you put in your mouth, how, how high your blood pressure goes, how much stress you're under. All these aspects are our lifestyle, how much weight you have, you put on. So when I practice cardiology on a day-to-day basis, it was all about getting people in the right lifestyle to help prevent heart disease. So we're on the same page. And and, and there's no better time than now to start these things. Uh, you know, we've, we've got COVID. We're obviously in this, this long haul with COVID. And we know about the comorbidities making you more susceptible to getting sick and, and dying from it. So there is no better time than now to talk about these things. Correct. Correct. Well, why don't we jump into uh, diet and nutrient depletions and sort of go go around there first? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a proponent, as you know, of the low sugary diet, the low carbohydrate diet, especially in COVID. I mean, it, it just makes sense. And um, 
the whole aspects about inflammatory coronary artery disease has to do with inflammation of blood vessels. I mean, we all know that. I mean, it took us decades to realize that, but the main indicator of inflammation, in other words, the sine qua non of inflammation is blood sugar. In other words, the higher your blood sugar, the more inflammation you get. Now, look, when I became a doctor, you know, years ago, decades ago, we used to think that having a blood sugar less than 100 fasting blood sugar was really good. Mm-hmm. That's what happened in the last 10 years. It went down to 90, then down to 80. Now it's down to 70. So if you have a fasting blood sugar of 70, uh, that's awesome. So even in my short-term history, you know, four or five decades of, of medicine, uh, the blood sugar, fasting blood sugar has gone way down. So now most doctors are on the same page that really blood sugar is one of the inflammatory culprits of coronary artery disease, not the traditional cholesterol hypothesis that that we all took the road less traveled on. We all did that one for sure, you know? It's so true, Dad. And I think people, they're, they're into this pattern of waking up in the morning, getting their orange juice, getting their pastry, whether that's a donut or a bagel, and that's how they start their day. And that they're just setting themselves up for insulin resistance and high glucose levels and all that. So. In terms of lifestyle medicine, we can talk about really quickly, what do you do in the morning for high quality food, protein, good fats, right? What do you do, Dad? Well, start your day. I'm, I'm sort of a faster in the morning, but I'll tell you, uh, I used to drink coffee and then I switched to green tea. I'm into green tea right now. All organic green teas, all these different varietals. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, I've been doing it every morning and uh, I like green tea because, you know, it has so many, you know, uh, medicinal properties to it. So right now my beverage is green tea. I don't know how long that'll last. I mean, I do like black tea. And remember from the Zutlin elderly study, uh, it was black tea that contained quercetin where it demonstrated longevity in these Dutchmen. And, and again, I've mentioned this many times before, but when I was a young cardiologist, when I was seeing longevity in Dutchman, you know, above 100 years old, I mean, that was pretty cool to see as a young cardiologist. And when he attributed it to quercetin, oh, that was awesome. So I'm all in on quercetin. And, and you and I love quercetin. It's one of the best bioflavonoids around. And, 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 it's, and, and people can get it from onions, green apples, black tea, and also take it as a supplement. So I just love quercetin. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. So I, w- I would say really quickly in terms of uh, if people, they wake up, what do they do? I think intermittent fasting, like what you're doing, Dad, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the exact same thing as well. I don't do it every morning. I do it probably three or four mornings out of the week. But uh, in my, if I am going to have a breakfast, I certainly don't reach for a bagel or a pastry. I'll have something like um, some oatmeal with some dried fruit in it, maybe some ground flax seeds sprinkled on top, or I might have some eggs on a gluten-free piece of toast. But um, yeah, beginning your day with a healthy meal is is really paramount there. Now, yeah, and, and you know, one of my favorite, you know, when I do toast, I like to do an avocado toast, you know, with an avocado spread with, uh, you add a little olive oil to it. because it's healthy fats on top it's of the there. Fats. It's the fats in that olive oil where you don't elicit the insulin response. So if you combine some healthy fats, uh, you know, with some carbohydrate, and if the fats overwhelm the car- carbohydrate, you get less of an insulin response because because that's what you're really striving for. Exactly. Now, Dad, you mentioned the whole you know inflammation starting from sugar and creating you know inflammation in the arteries and such. And the same thing can happen in your gut too. And I want to just briefly address this with our listeners. Make sure that you address food allergies or food sensitivities. Now, this could be a gluten intolerance. This could be a dairy intolerance. This could be to eggs. It could be to citrus. It could be to soy. Uh, different preservatives and foods, make sure that you figure out what it is that you're sensitive to, because if you don't remove those um, sensitivities or allergies, 
you're going to be introducing a food into your body all the time that's going to be creating inflammation, which can lead to leaky gut, which can lead to systemic issues in the body. So first and foremost here, we're talking about food, of course. Make sure you're not eating something that is not agreeing with you. Absolutely. I mean, allergenic foods. And, and remember, uh, I grew up sort of in that peanut generation where people unknowingly had peanut allergies and were really, uh, you know, being devastated. Uh, and, and I can tell you that um, I, I remember flying on airplanes when they were giving out peanuts and all of a sudden people were choking and, you know, wheezing and stuff like that. So, you know, it took years to, to really get to these allergic ramifications. But uh, you're right on. Um Aren't there like seven or eight, quote, you know, not taboo foods, but foods that are really allergenic, including chicken? I mean, I, I was surprised to find that one as well. And, you know, really the best way to do this is uh, like a food elimination diet, which I think right. you know, I've talked about before. And, and sometimes people um, don't want to do that. And I completely understand it's not an easy thing to do. Um, there are food allergy tests out there, food allergy panels that you can have run done uh, via blood. And those can be helpful for identifying those hidden foods like chicken, like you just mentioned. So uh, there's a couple out there that, um, that I use in my practice, not on a, a regular basis, but certainly for times where we can't figure out if there is a hidden food that they're reacting to. So thanks for bringing that up, Dad. Um, now, with certain diets, we can lead to nutrient deficiencies, right? I mean, if people are doing a ketogenic diet or a paleo diet or a low histamine diet or a low oxalate diet, there can be all these nutrient deficiencies that occur. So we want to make sure that we're replenishing the body, uh, you know, making sure that we're not missing something here. Uh, when it comes to medications, Dad, let's address that really quickly for our listeners. Um, what are some medications that you want to talk about that lead to nutrient deficiencies? Well, one of the ones that comes to my mind, uh, because I I dealt with it for years, was young women on birth control pills who were deficient in B vitamins. I mean, it was scary stuff. Yeah. And uh, and I saw that. And uh, uh, finally, you know, the medical profession, you know, got smart, you know, because remember, for years, they didn't recommend vitamin and mineral supplementation. But, um, uh, boy, pregnant women, uh, you know, they needed folic acid. They needed B vitamin support. And. And I remember seeing that. And, uh, you know, fortunately, when I started to administer vitamins and minerals early, um, even even the pregnant women, you know, given broad vitamin and mineral support, um, this was a lifesaver for lots of women. Because, again, I mean, you know, in this day and age, you know, with electromagnetics and insecticides and pesticides and heavy metals in the environment, uh, having a healthy child uh, is really a struggle today. It's, it's, it's a lot more difficult today uh, than it was, you know, decades ago. Yeah, that's so true. And, and those birth control pills, too, they, they deplete vitamin C and magnesium and zinc as well, not not just the B vitamins. So right. and we've had millions of women on birth control pills. Now, another uh, medication that people take often is a PPI, which is a proton pump inhibitor. And these are life-saving medications in terms of people are having an ulcer or they're having a really bad heartburn or they're having uh, gastritis or dyspepsia. It can certainly just calm down those symptoms and, and get things under control. However, they're prescribed long-term now, right? right. And they're, they're designed to be on a short-term course, excuse me, um, but they're given for years and even decades. And I've, I've had people that have been on these medications for 20 years. And so now we know from research that if you're on a PPI, which essentially suppresses your endogenous production of hydrochloric acid, you're going to be more susceptible to fractures or uh, pneumonia or even Clostridium difficile associated diarrhea. So there's lots of long-term ramifications of being on these medications. And these medications as well, the PPIs also deplete B vitamins and vitamin C and calcium and magnesium as well. So if people are on them, we got to make sure that we're replenishing with a good multivitamin. 
to, to right. help those levels. Right. And I'm so glad you mentioned magnesium. I mean, Drew, as, as a heart specialist, I am privy to the benefits of magnesium because I used magnesium in the CCU in my early 30s for you know horrible refractory, what we call ventricular tachyarrhythmias that were life-threatening. So I, I sort of grasped the um, utility of magnesium very early. And let's face it, magnesium is, has been depleted in the soils for centuries, not centuries, but decades, but, but centuries ago, the soils were replete with magnesium. But the yeah. last, I would say, five to six decades, for some reason, magnesium is depleted and magnesium deficiencies are rampant in the population. Now, people don't come, don't come in and say, oh, we have a magnesium deficiency. They come in with possible arrhythmia, possible high blood pressure. You know, in other words, you know, situations like that or insulin resistance. And I have to tell you that um, uh, when I was at a CoQ10 meeting, uh, maybe about 12 to 13 years ago, one of the Australian researchers spoke about the benefits of magnesium orotate. And I'll tell you, I was blown away by this. I mean, mm. it was amazing. But I, I can tell you, I am so glad that Healthy Directions, you know, took the lead in, uh, with magnesium because when you use Krebs cycle magnesium components and combine it with magnesium orotate, now you're getting the magnesium Krebs cycle components that you really need, because it's not just taking like, you know, grandma used to give us, uh, you know, magnesium oxide and look at magnesia. I don't know if you remember that, but basically <laughs> right through, <yeah>. magnesium <laughs> oxide stimulates the bowel. You don't really absorb it into the bloodstream. Yeah. So when it comes to magnesium, you, we need these Krebs cycle components that are vitally important. And I was so glad that the Australians introduced me to Oritate, you know, over a decade ago. And Dad, do you, do you think most people should be taking magnesium at this point? I, I, I say think so. everybody. Yeah. I think this is the unsung hero. This is the, the one, you know, mineral that I believe we're all depleted in. Now, here's the problem. A lot of doctors check, you know, magnesium, but they check it in the serum. <laughs> in order to be low in the serum, it's got to be drastically low. You must check an RBC, RBC a red magnesium. blood cell magnesium, to see if you're depleted in the magnesium. And if you're depleted in the red blood cells, then you're really depleted in the magnesium. So, no, I take magnesium every night. You know, Drew, I, I think I mentioned this more before on a broadcast. I brush my teeth every night, right? And, you know, when I use my water chaser, I swallow two capsules of uh, my broad spectrum magnesium. So it's yeah, like block work. I take it every night before bedtime. Yeah, I'm the way, same way. I, I, I take a sustained release magnesium at night with some CBD and I have the best sleep ever. I mean, that for me, that's my combination. Well, you know, that's <laughs> one of the aspects of magnesium. Some people, I, my patients used to tell me that, Doc, since you put me on magnesium at night, I sleep better. <laughs> no, it's so and true. With all the electromagnetics and all the melatonin depletion, you know, from all the EMF in the environment, you know, we need to sleep better. So if magnesium helps these people, you know, so be it. All right. Well, we talked about birth control. We talked about PPIs. And lastly, I wanted to mention statins. We got to talk about statins now in, in uh, CoQ10 deficiency. So, Tell us, Dad, I mean, how, how bad is CoQ10 depletion with statins? How, how bad is that? It, it's bad, but it didn't come out until the uh, late 1980s. And uh, when I was chief of cardiology in my institution, I used to lecture on statins all the time. I mean, I was a choir boy for statins because I, I bought the hook, line and sinker of the statin, you know, well, story, so to speak. Uh, but when this article came out of India showing that statins depleted CoQ10, I go, whoa, I stepped back and I said, how can that be? How can, you know, a, a pharmaceutical that's allegedly so good for the heart deplete the most important vital nutrient for the heart? So after that, I stopped lecturing for Merck and Pfizer and basically uh, 
you know, I became the choir boy on CoQ10. I really did. And uh, um, unfortunately, CoQ10 shares the same biochemical pathway as cholesterol. So if you use a cholesterol killer, you're going to knock out that pathway. And that's why so many patients, you know, they don't come into the doctor's office, Drew, and say, oh, doc, um, I'm having a statin complication. No, they come in and go, doc, I don't have the energy. I don't have the bounce in my step. I can't get out of a chair. I'm weak in my quads. I can't figure it out. I can't play doubles tennis anymore. Those are the, those are the complaints I heard. And my first re- remark was, by the way, does your internist have you on a statin for your cholesterol? And 99% of them would say, yes, they do. So that's yeah. how, you know, I interrogated these people because of their symptoms, you know, when they when they used to share their lifestyle. And again, we started talking about lifestyle. You know, lifestyle is so important, and that's why lifestyle is a big aspect of, of really conventional and alternative cardiology. Well, let's let's move on to more lifestyle medicine here, Dad, and that is the whole mind-body connection piece. And, uh, you know, recently I just sent you this book, right? The, oh, yeah, the, Breathe. The breathe, right? The breath, breath book. Breath. <laughs> uh, I highly recommend everyone watching and listening to this to read this book. It, it is an amazing, amazing book because you can – you can take control of your breath. When you take control of your breathing, you can help regulate your blood pressure. You can help regulate your energy levels, your sleep. I mean, you can really take control of your physiology and your biology by a simple thing as breathing. So I just completed this book, Dad, and I've been recommending it to everyone because this is something that every single person can start doing right now, which is breathing correctly. You know, Drew, I'm, I'm so glad that you have the passion for the breath because um, maybe when you read this book, uh, you and I should publish an article in alternative medicine, because I don't know if you remember this, but I did alternative nostril breathing and I was hooked up to a uh, HRV, you know, heart rate variability monitor at the same time. And it was amazing how just a few seconds of alternative nostril breathing can regulate your heart rate variability. And to Mm -hmm. heart specialists like myself, whenever you support heart rate variability, you're supporting your optimum health because disturbed heart rate variability from any cause, you know, whether it's pharmaceutical drugs, whether it's, you know, overzealous use of, of, of uh, sugars or preservatives or w- whatever it is, you know, disturbed heart rate variability, um, you know, is a harbinger for uh, cardiac events. So mm-hmm. uh, we have to be really cautious about it and supporting heart rate variability is really key. Yeah. And, and he talks about heart rate variability in, in the book and also, what I found fascinating, Dad, is that uh, you can look at someone like Wim Hof. You familiar with the the Ice Man named Wim Hof? Have you heard of him before? I've heard of him. Yeah, guy is just unbelievable. He he's climbed uh, Kilimanjaro in yep. t-shirt and shorts. Okay, he can submerge himself in ice water for an hour and a half, an hour and a half in ice water, and yeah. and, and 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 get out of the water without being hypothermic, without shivering, uh, without feeling cold, because he's able to actually regulate his temperature via his breath. So there's all these like, in a way, superhuman qualities that we can actually develop through the breath. And of course, yogis have been doing this for a long time. You'll read about this shortly, Dad, where they they tested a yogi and he was able to change his temperature within seconds from 10 degrees from his finger to his thumb. So there's all these different powers in a way that we can actually start to, to bring about by breathing. And so that's why I'm so passionate about it, because people can take charge of their health via breathing. And I think all of us are not breathing properly. I mean, that's just the, the reality of it these days. You know, Drew, I think you should go down to Servananda and teach down there. I mean, I taught down at that yoga institute, in the, you know, in the Bahamas for almost a decade. And every morning they do a satsang. 
And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, they do these breathing exercises, you know, at, at six o'clock in the morning and again at uh, 10 o'clock at night. And then yeah. they go to bed and they, and they repeat that process every day, every day for throughout the year. So um, I think the breath is really crucial. And the fact that you stumbled upon this book and now you're practicing these exercises is awesome. I mean, yeah. you are going to help a lot of our listeners because the breath is really important, vitally important. Yeah. And I'll let me leave with one more thing here, because I know I've been talking a lot about this. But uh, in his summary, he said that the the optimal breath is essentially five and a half um, seconds breathing in five mm. and a half seconds breathing out. And you repeat that. And so it comes out to be five and a half breaths per minute. OK, right. so if people can get a timer on their phone, they can just they can set it for five and a five and a half seconds in five and a half seconds out. And then you do that over a minute and you should have five and a half breaths per minute. And uh, that, that's what can really lead to increased heart rate variability and all the different uh, positive um, aspects of breathing. Now, that is a complete antithesis of the type A personality, because uh, when I met Maya Friedman for dinner years ago, when he was the one that wrote the book Type A, you know, in your heart, I'll never forget it. Um, his research on the breathing patterns and type A behaviors was <gasps> In and out so quick, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. five seconds or you know anything like that. I mean, it was short bursts of activity in and out. And um, and and this was the essence of the type A behavioral behavior pattern was the forced uh, breathing and the uh, erratic breathing, not the synchronous breathing that you are talking about, but the yeah. erratic type breathing. Uh, and uh, you know, Maya Friedman was right on, and this was decades ago. So I'm glad you're bringing it up now because you know, like anything else, medicine always repeats itself. <laughs> it does. It does. Unfortunately, that's what's happened with the uh, with the flu. I mean, you know, with this uh, coronavirus, because it's just like 1918 all over again, all over again. You know, I'm reading reports from 1918 because the when you read this stuff about 1918 about that flu-like epidemic that devastated, you know, the world, mm-hmm. it's exactly the same as it is now. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's and 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 these people back in 1918, they were sitting up, they were struggling to breathe, and they were getting a serosanguinous discharge from their lung, meaning they were getting a hemorrhagic, you know, lesions in the lung and bleeding from the mouth. So it's amazing. It's it's taken a hundred years for this virus to recirculate itself, but it's but history repeats itself again. And, and that's the way medicine is over and over again. Yeah, it's very true. Now, Dad, one more thing for mind body I wanted to mention is uh, getting out into nature. You and I have talked about this. Uh, well, you're a, a nature guy. <laughs> I mean, I love I love nature, of course. But, you know, I was taking a walk the other day and I realized that when I'm in nature and I think a lot of people feel this as well, you're in you're at home because that's yes. where we came from. Right. We came from nature. So when you're in nature, you're at home and that's when you feel really good. And I encourage people uh, as a lifestyle medicine to get out as much as they can go for a walk in the neighborhood, go for a walk in the woods. And even uh, I took a video the other day, which maybe I'll, I'll post at some point. I just I just I, I I filmed a lake and there was raindrops coming down the lake and that's all you could hear. And that was the most beautiful thing that I'd heard all day was just the raindrops hitting the lake because it was so quiet, so peaceful. And that's what we need in today's world. We need to be at ease. We need to be uh, calmed down. Our nervous systems are so worked up all the time that we need to go out in nature and just listen and observe and be mindful of uh, all these beautiful things around us. So simple thing that people can do on a daily basis. Yeah, and I, I can remember when you were a young child, we we came across a still lake, you know, out in, it could have been in BC where it was 
it was perhaps in Montana. You were about five years old, mm-hmm. and I t- and I took a flat stone and I I skirted it across the uh, lake, and it was you know bobbling back and forth. Uh-huh. And you were mesmerized by all the circles around the circles around that stone hitting the water. I'll never forget it. Oh, I love so it. You were, you know, you were sort of a Jeremiah Johnson when you were five years old. And now you're <laughs> the same type of guy. You even have the beard. You even look like a, a little bit like Redford. So it's, it's kind of cool. Well, I'm, I'm teaching that stuff to my my uh, my eight year old Kai. Yeah, that's so, good. That's yeah, good. he he's been doing cold immersion with me, so we've been jumping into this cold lake recently. And oh, you're uh, detoxing the body, huh? You're de- detoxing you're, the body. You're doing a lymph detoxification. You know, actually, while we're on the topic here, cold immersion, let me talk really quickly about it because yeah. this is another lifestyle medicine. What you can do is what I'm doing. You you go out, you either take a cold shower in your own home, or if you have access to a lake like I do, you go out, you take a dip in the lake. I've worked myself up to around 90 seconds, so about a minute and a half, I say submerged. And it's cold. There's no question about it. It's, it's, you're uncomfortable when you're in there. But when you get out, you, your body is starting to work really hard. It's a stress that you were just under. And now the blood's pumping, right? Your limbs pumping as well. And so you're able to increase circulation throughout your body. It helps with pain. It can help with mood. Um, you know, when I get home at night, I feel amazing, dad. I got to tell you, I mean, like the, the, just like the amount of circulation you feel in your hands and your toes and even your brain with cognitive function is unbelievable. So as long as someone doesn't have a, you know, severe cardiac condition where they can't go into extreme temperatures like that, I mean, this right. is generally a safe treatment for people to do. But uh, I think people should experiment a little bit and see how they feel. Well, Drew, remember five years ago, you wrote in our textbook of cardiology, you did the chapter on, uh, you know, actually uh, a naturopath's approach to cardiovascular medicine. And one of the things you wrote about was detoxification used in a hot cold. Yes. And, um, you know, I have a sauna here in my basement in New England. And uh, whenever I go in a sauna and I'm sweating, uh, I take a the shower is only about three feet away. And what I do is I take a cold shower and I do what you taught me, cold, warm, cold, warm. I keep doing that back and forth because what it does uh, and you know more about this than I do. I guess it facilitates the lymph flow because yes. the lymph flow is in the superficial aspects of the body or, or, or along the thoracic duct. And basically the hot cold is facilitating the lymph and the lymph is carrying out the toxins of the body. So anybody without a history of heart disease, if they do the hot cold, they're helping to detox. The, they're literally helping to de- detoxify the body and support the immune system, like you exactly. said. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, Dad, let's move on to uh, certain tests, health screenings that people should have done on a yearly basis. Let's start off with the heart. What what should people get done for tests in terms of the heart? Oh, I, I think C-reactive protein is still really cool. I mean, you know, it, it shows that if you do have a possibility of inflammation, because we know that inflammation is the root cause of heart disease. And while I'm on it, I think anybody, any any good cardiologist, if they check C-reactive protein, they should look at LP little a as well, because that's a pro-inflammatory mediator. It's the real cholesterol story. Uh, it's much more common now because of the biogenome project. Uh, we used to think it was rare, but now it's very, very common. And um, I like interleukin-6. In other words, these are mm. pro-inflammatory mediators. And uh, even my colleague, uh, Dr. Uh, Nicholas Perricone, who was an NF-kappa-B guy, I mean, he was the one that really taught me about NF-kappa-B decades ago. Um, you know, any of these uh, inflammatory mediators we can measure. And if you do have them, um, you know, they they do enhance infl- inflammation in the body. Yeah. And, and by the way, one of the miracle aspects of CoQ10 
is that CoQ10 suppresses these inflammatory mediators. So, uh, you know, um, CoQ10 has enormous utility, not only for the heart, but now I'm reading about more and more papers about, you know, the non-cardiac ramifications of CoQ10 and it's subduing inflammation in this day and age is really cool. That's why CoQ10, I think, is going to be coming, you know, more and more mainstream, uh, particularly, you know, in this era of, you know, inflammation and epidemics, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Dad, what did, you mentioned IL-6. Have, do you know anything specifically that can help lower that, or is that tied into all the lifestyle stuff that we're discussing today? Well, interleukin-6, again, it's a pro-inflammatory mediator. So, mm-hmm. you know, any of the anti-inflammatories would help. I mean, quercetin uh, may help, omega-3 essential fatty acids, uh, certainly CoQ10. Um, you know, any, any of these um, natokinase, lumbrokinase, you know, any of these things uh, uh, can help to assuage these inflammatory mediators, and um, and even even niacin. Now, now niacin is kind of cool because you know it's a B vitamin, uh, but but what niacin can do is um, it can intersect you know some of these inflammatory mediators uh, to a degree. You know, not as much as maybe lumbrokinase or, or, or nanokinase, but but niacin uh, has an effect on these, and I've seen it. So you know. The only problem with niacin is it's the flush. A lot of people can't tolerate it. And even in low doses, you know, they they get very, very afraid. I've seen panic situations where they get so hot, they get Mm -hmm. burning and stuff like that. But some people, you know, like the hot flush. So I've had some patients in my cardiovascular practice swear by niacin and other patients, they couldn't tolerate it at all. It's, It's an individual thing. That's for sure. And is this something that people build up to, or do they always they get that? Yes, they they can. They have to start at very low doses. And, uh, um, you know, niacin was one of my go-tos for lowering LP little a or helping to neutralize LP little a. But again, you had to go to higher and higher doses. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, Dad, in, in my practice, uh, it's more, you know, preventative medicine. I'm not treating patients like you were in terms of like heart attacks and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I like to run a, a CBC uh, comprehensive metabolic panel, thyroid panel, hemoglobin A1C, uh, fasting insulin, ferritin, and iron. A hormone panel, depending on kind of what someone's coming in for, the, depending if it's a female or a male, but we'll do like an estradiol, progesterone, testosterone, uh, FSH, cortisol, pregnenolone, DHEA. And of course, do a lipid panel with an LP little a. We'll do a vitamin D, a vitamin B12, including a methylmalonic acid, which is the breakdown product of B12. RBC magnesium, like you mentioned earlier, uh, selenium and zinc, and there's other tests, of course, but that's kind of like what I like to have on a yearly basis are those tests to kind of make sure that we're not missing something and that something's not elevated or, or low for that matter. Yeah. And you may have mentioned it, but uh, do you also order a fibrinogen? On some people, yes. It, it, when there's a when I suspect that there's a family history of cardiovascular disease, or currently I'm suspecting that I'll do a fibrinogen. Yeah, and yeah. and in any postmenopausal woman who smokes, yes. you must get a fibrinogen because I saw alarmingly high fibrinogens, and I used to think that one of the reasons why you know heart attacks went up 400 percent in postmenopausal women. I used to think, you know, when I was a younger cardiologist, it was estrogen because they lost the fountain of youth hormone. But then I realized that the fibrinogens went up. And when the fibrinogens, which causes blood clotting, by the way, mm-hmm. the fibrinogens went up because of a lot of smoking. Uh, then I put it two, two and two together. And I realized that fibrinogen in smoking women postmenopausal was really, really bad. And I had to coach these women uh, in either, you know, <laughs> lowering fibrinogen or better yet, getting them off smoking. 
And Dad, explain to our audience uh, fibrinogen and, and how that impacts the blood in terms of making it thick. Well, it, it interacts with uh, fibrin, and basically, it it it, uh, it it makes the blood more sludgy. Well, look, if you cut yourself and you're bleeding, you need this stuff because you want your blood to clot. The mm -hmm. problem is, is you don't want your blood to be like red ketchup all the time, uh, you know, sludgy because of these, you know inflammatory mediators, so to speak, and smoking because, you know, you're not only inhaling, you know, carbon monoxide and stuff like that, but there's like 4,000 chemicals in cigarette smoke because of all the insecticides and pesticides. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this tends to make the blood sludgy. And we know now that it's sludgy blood or red ketchup blood that is really the essence of inflammation. And we know that inflammation is the essence of heart disease. So, Keeping the blood like red wine is really key. That's why, you know, I'm a big proponent of grounding. And, you know, again, I, I like natural blood thinners. So, exactly. You know, okay. really important. Okay. And, Dad, uh, before we move over to the wellness wisdom segment here, is there anything that you want to add into lifestyle medicine that we were talking about today, preventative medicine, anything else? Yeah, probably uh, we got to talk about stress. I mean, stress is the, the number one killer. I mean, that's, yes. stress is the elephant in the living room. And uh, especially now in this day and age, and, you know, people need to uh, uh, experience their emotions more. They need to cry more. They need to get into their sadness. They, they, they just need to uh, really experience, you know, what they're feeling because mm. if you just keep stuffing it and stuffing it and stuffing it, uh, it's, it's not good for the heart at all. Remember, the heart, the heart is the origin of our of our total being, so to speak. Yeah. And and the heart will suffer uh, if you betray it. And if you don't tell the heart your truth, and you keep betraying it, you keep stuffing the emotions. You keep you're living in denial, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the the heart will come back and get you. Yeah. That's, that's been my experience. So, Dad, I think what I like to do. This is hard, right? Because how, how do you get people to express themselves sometimes? That's, that can be a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. I, I like to recommend a, a journal or we used to call it like a diary, right? But I think that's a great way for people to sit down at night before they go to bed and, and write down how they're feeling. What was their day like? What did they experience? What are they, what are they feeling in their body at that moment? Because I think it's hard, uh, especially for men, to, to really feel what they're experiencing, right? In an emotional sense, it's kind of hard if they are having anger or frustration in their life. It's it's like, sometimes it's hard to identify it. And then what do you do when you actually do identify it? I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing. So I think journaling is one way for people to just get down how they're feeling on paper. And then we can learn to do things to help with that. I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. In fact, that would be my wellness wisdom. All right. I like that. Okay. In fact, I would say this, my wellness wisdom today with you, Drew, is that before you go to bed tonight, mm. write down one thing that you are grateful for before you go to sleep or one thing that day that you learned intrinsically, you know, in your, in your inner being that you are grateful for. Yes. That's beautiful. Dad. That's a, that's the gratitude journal. The gratitude journal, because yes. whenever you're grateful, what are you doing? You're supporting heart rate variability. Whenever yes. you support heart rate, heart rate variability, you're optimizing your cardiovascular health. And whenever you're grateful, well, I got the universal chill on that. Whenever you're grateful, uh, you're in a, a state of well-being. And that's mm. 
And listen, what's the opposite of grateful? Well, it could be panic. It could be, you know, depression. It could be anger. It could be, you know, any of those, uh, you know, negative emotions. So when you're grateful, um, you're you're experiencing something that's really full and 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 genuous for the heart. Yeah. Oh, I love it, Dad. I love it. Well, for my wellness wisdom, I'm going to say that start doing these things right now. What we talked about today, uh, including the breathing piece, you can do it right now after listening or watching this podcast. And the simple thing that my father and I discussed was, hey, the five and a half breaths in, five and a half breaths out. And then you do that five and a half times during a minute. And it's almost like you think about the, the tide coming in or the tide going out or a wave coming on shore and a wave coming out. It's the same kind of motion. You're doing that with your lungs instead of obviously water. But uh, that's something that everyone can do today, right now, even in this moment, you can start doing while you're listening or watching this. And uh, we know it's good for your health. And your heart rate variability. And your heart rate sure. variability. For sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, Dad, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show today. And uh, this was great. I'm so happy we talked about lifestyle medicine. It's such an important piece of people's health. Ditto. That was great, Drew. That's our show for today, folks. If you have a question or an idea for a show topic, please send us an email or share a post with us on Facebook. And remember, if you like what you heard today and you want to be an active member of the Be Healthistic community, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you download your favorites. You can also find more great content and information from us and the Healthy Directions team at HealthyDirections.com. I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra. And I'm Dr. Steve Sinatra. And this is Be Healthistic. Thanks for listening to Be Healthistic, powered by our friends at Healthy Directions, with Drs. Drew and Steve Sinatra. See you next time.